Epiphany is a time for miracles. That's the word we use. But if you pour through the pages of Scripture looking through that word miracle, you won't find it. Not because Jesus didn't perform many miracles, but because that's not what the Bible calls them. John uses the word signs. Jesus performed many signs. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic evangelists, they prefer to call these miracles wonders or sometimes powers. Jesus went about performing these signs. He went about doing these wonderful, mighty things, and everyone saw him. And Epiphany is a time when we kind of hear these things and we consider them and we think of them, and it's fitting because any time Jesus performed a sign or a wonder or a power, people saw something. There was a manifestation of his power, of his might. There was a manifestation that led people to say, he's wonderful. And that wasn't just done as some kind of a condescension. You know, Jesus was throwing them a bone or something. Look, I'd rather not do this, but I suppose if you won't believe for any other reason, I guess I'll have to give you a sign. It's not a condescension of God to showcase his power. It's what he's always intended. It's what he wants to do, you could put it that way. In fact, it's what he's done through his whole creation, right? The sad thing is that we grow dull to these things. We grow dull to the miraculous power of God. We grow dull to how the heavens proclaim his wonders and how the whole creation proclaims the glory of God. So we look at the signs of the seasons and we say, well, yeah, that's just what happens. We see the clouds building in the sky and we say, well, that's just the way it goes. There's laws about these things after all. The water evaporates, we understand all of this, and then it condenses up in the sky and then it comes down and it's just a matter of fact. (laughs) But says who? Why should it be that every morning the sun rises the way that it does? Why should it be that every evening the sun sets the way that it does? And why should it be, why should it be that it paints the sky with these wonderful colors? Well, see, the light reflects or refracts through the molecule. Well, why should that be? It's because God has designed things that way. There are no universal laws that he has to obey. There are universal laws that he has created. And through those things, we see his power. We see his grandeur. We see his glory. But because we grow dull to these things, Jesus came doing signs. Jesus came doing wonders. Jesus came displaying his power. And this morning we have these two very clear and vivid examples of Jesus' power, don't we? We see his wonder-working ability in how he cleanses this leprous man, something that the king of Israel confessed only God can do that. It's kind of funny, isn't it, that he gets this letter from the king of Syria, you heard it this morning, and he reads the letter and he thinks, this guy's just trying to pick a fight with me. He wants me to fail. I can't cure anyone of leprosy, only God can do that. And he's right. Only God can cure leprosy. There was no therapeutic that could be prescribed. There was no magical formula. There was no incantation that Elisha could speak and wave his hand over Naaman. That's what Naaman wanted. Only God has the power to heal leprosy. And that's what Jesus shows, that he is the true God. So this leprous man comes to him with this question for Jesus. Lord, if you will, that is, if you want to, 
If you are willing, then you are able to heal me. It's a great confession, isn't it? Lord, if you are willing, you can do what only God can do. Lord, you, if you are willing, you can do it. In the cleansing of the leper, in this miraculous healing, we see the will of Jesus displayed writ large. If he is willing, and what does our Lord say? I am willing. Be cleansed. Now, that detail can kind of skip past us, the will of Jesus. We just look at his works, but consider his motivation. That's sometimes how we talk about a person's will. There are many things that you can do against your own will, right? You can be someone who doesn't like to clean your room, but if your parents insist on it, well, I guess you just have to. This is kind of the the classic example of someone who is contrary, who wants to do something else but has to go against their will. It's the classic example of a grumpy teenager. But in Scripture, God speaks of his people this way as being stiff-necked. And so I want you to consider this morning what it would be like if Jesus didn't actually want to do the things that God sent him to do. If he was stiff-necked like the people of Israel of old, that's a great play on words, isn't it? Not a play on words, but it's a great image that's put before us. A stiff-necked horse is one that won't go with the reins. When the rider pulls on the reins, the horse resists it. He's stiff-necked. Well, suppose Jesus was stiff-necked. If he didn't really want to, if he was like a grumpy teenager, I'd really rather not heal you, but I guess, I guess I have to. How different is our Lord than us? He is not stiff-necked towards his Father's will, but he gladly does it. And so when this leprous man comes to Jesus with this wonderful confession, if you are willing, you are able to do it. Jesus says, I am willing. That's what the miracle of the leprous man manifests to us this morning, that Jesus is willing, that Jesus is willing to heal And if he is willing, then there is nothing that he cannot do. That's not true about us, of course, is it? There are plenty of things that I have the will to do, but not the power. There are plenty of things that I would be very willing to do, but I'm unable because of all kinds of limitations. I am willing to dunk a basketball, but I can't. (laughs) I watched the Kentucky game yesterday, and this guy did a 360 dunk, and I just sat there thinking, I wish I could do that. I'm willing to do it but I'm not able. With Jesus, there are no limitations, are there? If he is willing, there is nothing that he has to say, well, I wish that I could help, but, you know, I just can't. It's not my time. It's not my business. It's not my way. If he is willing, he is able. There are no limitations on our Lord, and that's revealed so wonderfully in this miracle. There was another time where a man came to Jesus and his son was demon-possessed. You might remember this from the Gospel of Mark. And he comes to Jesus' disciples at first and they can't drive out the demon. And so Jesus comes and the man goes up to Jesus and he says something very similar to what the leper says. He said, if you are able, please help me. And Jesus responded very differently to that man. If I am able, there is no limitation on Jesus. If he is willing, he is able. If he is willing, he can do it. If he is willing, then all things are possible for him. And what you see with this leprous man is that he is willing to save. 
He's willing to do things that no one else would be willing to do. How many of you would like to touch a leper if we had one here today? How many of you would gladly raise your hand and say, yes, I'll do that. I'll volunteer. I'd be happy to do it. We live in a time where we don't even want to touch people who are clean, right? We don't want to touch people even if they are robed and masked and washed their hands and you saw them wash their hands. You go, well, I still don't want to take any chances. How different our Lord is. He is willing to touch the untouchable. He is willing to cleanse what no one else would do. I will, Jesus says. And in the miracle of the leprous man, we rejoice that it is the will of Jesus to save. Then he goes on to give some kind of strange commands, doesn't he? Now, don't tell anyone. Here, Jesus has just performed this great sign, this great wonder. He's touched this leprous man, and then he says, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. But instead, go and show yourself. Go and show yourself to the priests. Go and show yourself to the priests and offer there in the temple the sacrifice that was prescribed by Moses. See, it's not that Jesus wants to keep it all a secret, but that he wants to not only make his word known, but he wants his will to be shown in the life of his disciples. Those who have been touched by Jesus, those who have felt his power, those who have known his love, are not simply to go out into the world and talk about it. Now, you should talk about Jesus, but you should show it also in your life. This is part of our witness to the world, that not only do we go out and say, we believe in Jesus, we believe that he is the Son of God who died for the sins of the world and rose for salvation. Yes, we should speak with our mouths, but also in your life, you are to show, you are to show to the world a testimony. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? Show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifice as a proof to them, is the English translation, as a witness to them. Here is the wonderful thing about Epiphany, that not only has our Lord accomplished great miracles long ago, but that in your life, in your very person, in your being, in your actions, in your words, in your entire way of life, you are now the manifestation of his love. That's a high calling for Christians. It's one we often shrink back from. It's one that we often fail at. I don't know if I should really show the love of Christ to that person. I don't know really how to begin. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do the things that Christ would have me do. It was easy for the leprous man. He could just look back in Leviticus and see, all right, here's the offering to be offered in the temple. It's not quite as easy for you. What is it to show the love of Jesus to those who are suffering? What is the witness that you are to give? It is the witness of a life following the commands of Jesus. But he doesn't lay all of that out perfectly, neatly for you. You have to apply yourself. You have to apply your mind to know his will. You have to apply your actions to follow in his ways. You have to apply your own will to walk in his will. But this is what Christ has come to do. He has come to accomplish these wonderful miracles. He is willing to heal. He is willing to save. And what he has saved becomes willing to do the same thing. Those who he has saved become willing to walk in his steps. The second miracle that we heard this morning reveals not only Jesus' will and his, and his power, but also his authority. 
that Jesus has not just the will to heal, not just the power to heal, but he also has the authority to save. Now, that might sound like kind of an odd distinction to make. Don't they all kind of go together? But think about it in terms of uh, police. Let me give you this illustration of police. Suppose that someone had the will and the power to police our community, but they didn't have the authority. What would we call that person? A vigilante, right? Someone who has the will to accomplish the thing, someone who has the power to do it, but who does not have the authorization is a vigilante. You could think of it the other way, too. Someone who has authority, but without will or power to police our neighborhood would be a pretty bad cop, right? He would just sit in his car, he would wear the badge, he would have all of the authority, but without the will to actually do his job, without the power to accomplish his job, he would be a pretty useless policeman. Jesus has not only the will, not only the power, but also the authority to save. That's what the centurion confessed. You also are a man under authority. He saw that Jesus was not someone who was kind of a vigilante, just going about doing his own thing, but that he was God's representative, that he was God's authorized agent of salvation. And so in Jesus, we have this perfect alignment of will, of power, and of authority. We have God's good order for our salvation so that we can have full confidence in him, that he is willing, that he is able, and that he is authorized to save. That's what the centurion confessed so powerfully. Lord, I also am a man under authority. I am unwilling that you should come under my roof, but I know that all you have to do is speak a word. That's the way it works with me, is what the centurion is saying. I can talk to my soldiers, and whatever I say goes. Whatever I tell my servants to do in my house, they do it. And surely, Jesus, it's the same way with you. That's the implication of his confession. He doesn't come right out and say that, but it's implied so powerfully. And Jesus, Jesus marvels at this. His signs and his wonders made everyone else marvel. But what is it that our Lord Jesus marvels at? He marvels at the faith of this centurion. He marvels that the centurion recognizes his own unworthiness, that he is unworthy to have Jesus come under his roof. He marvels that the centurion knows that everything here depends not on his goodness, but on Jesus' grace. Here is what Jesus marvels at, the confession that everything depends on his grace and that he has authority over all things. Isn't that an amazing confession the centurion makes? Sure, we can understand a centurion speaking to soldiers, but Jesus speaking to sickness, Jesus speaking to paralysis, Jesus speaking to cancer, Jesus speaking to the wind, Jesus speaking to the waves, Jesus speaking to any force carries that same authority. Whatever he says goes. And what Jesus marvels at this man's faith, there is this wonderful reversal. The man says, I am unworthy that you should come and be my guest. And Jesus says, that may be true, but you are going to be my guest. Listen again to what he said about the centurion. Many will come from east and west and sit at table, recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
Those who know that they are not worthy to have Jesus come under their own roofs are are paradoxically the ones who are worthy to come into his kingdom. Jesus, you aren't worthy to be my guest. And Jesus says, that's right, but you will be my guest. In my kingdom, you will have a place, centurion. And he says the same to each of you this morning. Are you worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven? Not at all. But by Christ's grace, that is what makes you prepared. So we come to the Lord's table, not boasting of our goodness, not saying we deserve it, but we come to our Lord's table recognizing our unworthiness, saying even this prayer, this is a great prayer to have in your heart as you come forward for Holy Communion this morning. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word and I will be healed. And he does say that word. Take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood, which is given and shed precisely for you who are unworthy, precisely for you who could not claim it for your own, precisely for you. Jesus is willing. Jesus is able. Jesus is authorized to save. That is what is revealed so wonderfully for us this morning. But it makes us wonder, doesn't it? Yes, he did that long ago, but what does it have to do with me now? Is Jesus still willing to heal me? Is he still willing to take away my pains? Is he still willing to make me whole? The answer is yes, but on his terms. See, as wonderful as those miracles were, as wonderful as that cleansing was and the healing of that man's servant, all of those things were temporary, weren't they? A temporary healing, a temporary cleansing, a temporary removal of pain is great if you can get it. But what's even better is an eternal one. And Jesus is willing and able and authorized to give that eternal kind of healing. Once and for all, we say, right? Once and for all, he took our sins. Once and for all, he bore our pains. Once and for all on the cross, he has done away with the cause of sin. He has done away with the cause of death. Once and for all. That is, once and for all times, once and for all men and women. So cling fast to this Jesus who is willing. Cling hard to this Jesus who is able. Cling on to this Jesus who is authorized to save you once and for all. For he has taken your illnesses. He has borne your griefs. He has done away with them in the cross. And he now says to you, you are my guests in my kingdom. Come and receive from me all that you need for hope and salvation. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.